Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's session of Selling the Couch. I am actually recording this almost eight months before. So this episode, the topic of this seems so appropriate for something that many of us are thinking about, which is how do we live and create a business according to to our values and according to what fulfills us versus what society tells us. And more specifically as therapists, how do we not take on sort of the societal and even among colleagues sort of conditioning of like over-responsibility, self-sacrifice, you know, imposter syndrome, all of these kind of things. My guest today is Aaron Gibb. Aaron is a group practice owner and coach who specifically works with therapists navigating these things, right? Like looking at the societal and the systemic kind of things that have impacted the business that we have all built. And more importantly, helping to build a business and a life that is well in alignment with who you are meant to be and the life that you're meant to create. We cover a range of different things in this podcast session. So, you know, one of the first questions that I ask is actually, I just share about an experience that I had as an undergrad in my first year of college and something that a professor said to me that at 18 years old, looking back, like it was how hard that was to hear. And we dive into that, you know, how even mentors and things like that, that really mean well, how the words that people say, right, especially when we are in positions of power, how that impact things. We also get into how Aaron got into doing this work with therapists. And then we talk about, you know, what is happening at a systemic level, and then also at a therapist level that is reinforcing some of these. I talk about a a Facebook ad that I saw that, you know, where basically a colleague uh, shared that, you know, they are basically money is not a driving factor in their business and that all of us should be, we should not be doing it for money and sacrifices embedded in as a natural part of the profession. And sort of how would Aaron respond to that? And this is a really good conversation, I think, especially if you are in a season where you're really thinking about your business and creating it in alignment with what fulfills you. So we'll get right to today's conversation. Here is my conversation with Aaron Gibb. Hey, Erin, welcome to Selling the Couch. Oh, thank you, Melvin. I'm thrilled to be here. You are 
I mean, you're a successful private practitioner, a group practice owner. You are doing so much for therapists. And so even just this topic, I I was like really excited for because it's one that I know that a lot of therapists struggle with, right? And and yet I think there's a lot of like suffering in silence. And so I love conversations like this because it brings something to light that I think so many therapists do navigate and struggle with and often alone. So I appreciate you for for this conversation. Oh, I'm thrilled to have it. And I've had a colleague say, I don't think that therapists are ready to hear this. And I thought, no, I can't believe that. I think this is so timely. What was the thought process around that? Why therapists would not be ready to hear it? Well, the conditioning around this kind of self-sacrifice, over-responsibility, some of those kind of themes runs pretty deep. And I would say it runs deep in me. It runs deep in, in anybody I've mentored. So to hear some of what I know will come up today, some of my passions can be difficult, but I think you're correct in that people are suffering in silence and that's starting to change. People are starting to get vocal about what it means to be a therapist and what it really feels like. Mm, to be, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so too. I think the pandemic has done a lot of things and I think among them, I think a lot of therapists are really examining things at a deeper level, right? And because the one-to-one work, it comes at a different cost now. Yes. So I was trying to figure out even where to start this. And maybe I'll start with a little visual. As I was like writing and thinking through questions for this, I remember this was experimental psych undergrad, the second class that I would take. So this is second semester, first year. And I remember my professor who I really respected because, you know, they had this unbelievable like photographic memory. And I remember just being 18 and I don't know how this conversation started, but I remember the professor saying like, you should think twice about going into psychology because you just, there's just not a lot of money there. And Mm. I think a lot about this. I just turned 41, right? And so this is, feels like a lifetime ago. And yet I think a lot about like 18 year old Mel who was just trying to figure out a major Mm -hmm. career path and to get that, you know? Oh yeah. It's, can I sort of set the stage for how I, I look at that kind of conditioning? Yeah, 100%. Well, I would say that that is sort of where we get to the advanced level conditioning, what you're talking about there. Once we're in that kind of stressed out place in school, in undergrad, in grad school, and like when we're kids, we're absorbing that kind of conditioning because we don't know. We're just trying to figure it out. So these powerful others who have absorbed the same conditioning, they say that, but I think it actually goes even even deeper. Most of us health professionals and helpers, on some level, we're taught that to be nice is better than to be safe. And to have a focus on the needs of others is safe. And it also feels rewarding when we're praised for that. And we see this in health professionals and helpers that in our youngest years, we learned to take care of others. And it isn't that it isn't intrinsic to who we are, possibly, that we don't love in this deep way and have this compassion, because that is beautiful. But it's about that we learned, and this would be hard to find a therapist where you ask them, did you learn to put your needs aside for others as a child? And they'll usually be like, yeah, I think I did. And then 
we can go back even further to the 1700s when this kind of crazy thinking around being superhuman as a health professional came in. If you're interested in that, my podcast, we go in deeper on one episode, but basically in the 1700s, it ends with a guy who changed the medical training system. Turned out he was a cocaine addict and he died at 26. But the thing that stuck was the overworking. It was this wild, almost manic overworking. And that from the 1700s on for health professionals has permeated. You see it with doctors, but you see it with really with health professionals in general, this idea that we need to push through and sacrifice and give it all and be superhuman and then work in unpaid internships. And it, it starts to balloon. But then we get into grad school, and that's where some of the deepest conditioning happens in, in moments like you just described. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I take away from that is one and like one historical event, right? Like how that creates this ripple effect of so many things. And before we know it, like it just becomes so big. Yeah. 100%. I, I wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into this work? Well, I started my first group practice in 2017. And then I, so at that point, I started taking on therapists and doing mentorship and supervision. And I would say some coaching then. And I started seeing the same themes. And so as my career trajectory since then has progressed, I've decreased my client load and increased my time with therapists where I'm mentoring, supervising coaching. And now that's what I do 100% of the time. But what happened was I started seeing these themes. And I started seeing the mirror in myself that it was really hard for me to leave a toxic agency. And I look back now and go, why did it take me years of fighting through that of going, it's me, it has to be me, I'm not getting something, I'm not working hard enough, I'm failing. So And I see now that that's sort of what I call phase one. It's like a dating sort of thing. It's not me, it's you. It takes a while to develop. At that point, I was still saying, it's not you, it's me. And I went through that for years. But then I would take on supervisees and mentors, and I would start doing things like that. And I actually did my first sort of business training for therapists in 2017. And I saw all of this immense conditioning that had been weighing on me. and some of the themes I saw were self-sacrifice, just like baked in to the idea of being a therapist over responsibility and having this difficult time really looking after oneself while looking after others. The irony is that we have all the requisite skills to do this because we guide others towards empowerment. Mm. But this oh, but this conditioning, and I will meet the most empowered therapists and they'll tell me about the moment where they need to choose. Like, I feel sick saying this, Melvin, because this has become my mission now for a reason. The moment that they need to choose to to distinguish between the story that says when they go after their dreams fully and freely, it harms others. That moment where they need to choose, are they going to actually do the thing that's calling their soul? Or are they going to say, well, it might impact my clients and my family, so I can't. Mm. It's this painful place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you shared that because what spoke to me was even my own journey, right? Like I've been 11 years now licensed and I started working in a group practice and 
when I was in that group practice about three years in was when STC, the idea came. But I remember, I mean, I can still remember the multitude of stories that I told myself, like STC is just a hobby. It's not going to, it's probably not going to make any money. Like you got to stay, you got to stay in this group practice. You got to, and I thought to myself, like, and man, the like thinking back, the like this old thing, but the compensation rates, like how atrocious that is, even for with for me, like with the PhD, right? Like and hours and hours and the complexities and not not getting paid for the crisis calls or the all of that stuff, right? And it is, it's so much. And I keep thinking, like as you were speaking, this intersection of always growing up helping, right? And 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 not thinking about your own what you actually want when you intersperse that with becoming a therapist, right? When you intersperse that with expectations around what you're supposed to do with a career and breadwinner or not, like all of that stuff, right? There's so mm-hmm. many layers there. There is. And for me, my mission now is about the difference between success and fulfillment. And my niche in the therapist support space is fulfillment because that's where the story kind of improves. I mean, we can talk more about the conditioning. There is so many, so much evidence of it, but it's it's insidious. So it's the discourse that can be invisible. And it's the collective belief in our field. You just have to go into maybe a Facebook group or the comments on something. You mentioned that in preparation of the comments is something to see this thinking, this kind of, yeah, this pattern of thinking. But for me, my my jam, my mission is about fulfillment because success as a therapist, you can check all those boxes that we were told to do. Go after these things, do these things, sacrifice until you get there and you kind of cut your teeth and you you earn that hierarchical position. I mean, our, our system is very hierarchical. Then you get there and it's kind of like, wah, wah, for a lot of people. It's not the promise. It's a bigger North American idea. This like you go after stuff outside of you and you get fulfillment. Talk about suffering in silence. A lot of people don't want to talk about that they've got all the things, but they feel increasingly unsatisfied and unfulfilled. It's because they come from different places. For me, my work is about where does fulfillment come from and how do you create from that place? And usually the place of fulfillment within a person, when they actually land on what that is, is very surprising because it isn't about anything outside the self. Hey there. I hope that you're enjoying today's podcast session. So I've, you know, jumped back into private practice and I decided to go the private pay route. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do I tap into outer network benefits for clients that might want to use it? Now, the common sort of perspective or tip that a lot of folks say is just to provide a super bill for clients. But the reality is, I feel like most clients aren't going to go take a super bill and then call the insurance company and then deal with that whole mess of trying to communicate with the insurance companies and waiting on reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, especially if they're keenly aware of budget and stuff like that, they're like, oh my gosh. I may not be able to afford working with this therapist and all of those kind of things, right? This is where Thryzer comes in. And the really cool thing with Thryzer is that they will actually float the clients for the sessions. So basically, when you sign up for Thryzer, you can automatically submit out-of-network claims for your clients. It's simply done through an app. It literally takes seconds. And Thryzer 
takes care of all of the insurance stress. So we don't have to deal with it as clinicians. Our clients don't have to deal with it. And clients just pay what they owe for for actual sessions, i.e. like the difference between your rate and the reimbursement rate in order to skip the long insurance wait. All they have to do is pay the standard 3% credit card fee. There is no monthly contracts or fees or anything like that. If you would like to try out Thryzer, you can go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, enter the promo code STC so that your first $2,500 in fees are waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and Thryzer is spelled T-H-R-I-Z-E-R, and enter the promo code STC. You don't know this, but right before our conversation, I spent the last hour recording a solo episode, and basically it's titled, Why I'm Done Building a $1 Million a Year Business. And the basic conclusion of that is, like, I realized I had lived a lot of my life always focused on numbers and accomplishments, but it was not in alignment with the life that I want to live and the values that I was preaching and sharing with STC. And I just couldn't be like a hypocrite like that. And oh, yeah, I know it. Yeah, but it's it's still work I'm doing because like, I mean, that episode will air before ours, but like there's a part of me I in, in sharing that I just thought, gosh, what are people going to think of me? I do. Like, I can relate so much because this, as I go deeper into this mission, every time I make a statement to the world, I do a live, I do an Insta this or that or a podcast episode of my own, anything in me that is not healed around that just vibrates to the surface. And I live in a house of mirrors. And it's like, the more vocal you get about this kind of stuff, any kind of what the mind might call hypocrisy just doesn't stand without turmoil. So I'm in my own way, I get it. I don't have the the reach you do currently. So I can imagine if if what I've experienced, which is like the more out there I live, that it all comes up. I can imagine it it might be intensified for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's just like, in some ways, like I'm like the reluctant entrepreneur. Right? So I I didn't expect all of this. And yet, at the same time, like I feel both the responsibility and of like, where does my responsibility end as well? Right? And where does like, primarily taking like realizing like taking care of myself is actually the better I take care of myself, the more I can do for our field, you know? Oh, yeah. To me, that's what I call mental health revolution. When I interview people, that's the last question I ask is what does mental health revolution mean to you? Everybody's answers are fascinating. But my personal brand of mental health revolution is exactly what you just said. It's the antidote to this conditioning, which is that when we live fully and freely, like when we look after ourselves in a way that we actually listen to what would nourish us, fulfill us, we do more for the world than any self-sacrifice ever could. We like that gives me goosebumps since I've seen it that we don't even have to tell our clients or those we influence that we are living in an actualized way. They feel it. I've seen how it accelerates therapy even just by the therapist living aligned. Just the things we think are going to be like breaking the news. Like I remember hearing that in myself when I finally said, okay, clients, I love you, but I'm not going to be seeing you anymore. I'm going to be transferring you. This sort of was the feeling I was putting out. 
And although there was grief and there was processing, it was like the conversations came to me living my truth was inspiring after we processed what it was like. It was inspiring. And we got into conversations about where were they not living fully and freely. And I see it with therapists all the time. The more they do what you just said, the more it actually, it indirectly empowers everyone. The kids that they have in their life are watching them. The The partner they thought would say, like, are you, that's not responsible, is like, I am proud of you. And I actually wish I could be more like that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question related to something you said, which is, what is your sense of like, especially in the therapist, private practice, coaching, business building, like this space, right? What is your sense of like, why so many of us equate our self-worth to revenue? Because we know that abstractly, right? Like, that's not a good idea. And yet, we do it, all of us. Yeah. I think it's, to me, it speaks to this idea of the deeply ingrained idea in North American culture, and I would say maybe Western culture, especially of this idea that you do go out and you check all those boxes and you you do all the things to become successful and the identity gets woven in there and the ego goes, great, I know how to do that now. I've gotten all the instructions. I got them from family. I got them from higher education. I got them from TV. I got them. We go and we go after that stuff. And it feels like that is how we will become happy, how we'll become successful, and how will we will become somebody, fill in the blank of whoever it is. And it doesn't actually take long to look in the psyche and find the actual visual representation of the successful you. That's a, it's a great exercise to try to find them. Or even what does your therapist persona look like? Most of the time, people find they're actually living quite divergent from that image. Because that image was implanted at about like six, seven, eight years old. But I think that's where it starts is we have this idea and we run for it. And then it's empty, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is very ironic. Like, and one of the things I I spoke in that episode was I thought somehow like more revenue would bring more happiness. And it did on some level. But then what I didn't realize is like, it actually brings more complexity and stress, right? Mm -hmm to get there. And because you're managing multiple people, you're thinking through stuff. There's like, even if, right, like, I don't know, it's just, it's an interesting, and I I recognize the privilege of saying this, right? Because we have built, right? Like we built successful businesses. And yet I think asking this question of like, how much is enough and why is aiming toward a certain number important to me? I think those are really worthy questions to ask. 100%. I think things that come from fulfillment, that's the hard concept because as we're talking about this moving towards stuff, that is how we've been conditioned. We've moved towards, even when we come up with an inspiration, we often think of, okay, well, what will that look like out in the world? What will I create? For me, it's like the sustainable way to feel fulfilled is to actually find the source of your fulfillment within. And then when money comes from that, it, it feels different. When it, when opportunities come from that, it feels different. The thing, though, is that the mind doesn't understand that. It's like the fulfillment, in my experience, is akin to coming from a place of being in us. Well, ego, mind doesn't know how to be. It only knows how to do. And that's great. We got to do some stuff. If I never again got dressed, it would become a problem quickly. Like if I just lived in this for the rest of my life, 
it's a simple example, but we, we've got to do stuff. But the place of fulfillment is completely different. And when I've done this work with people, when they go inwards and we do sort of a journey, because you got to get, it's experiential to get below the mind. They're shocked by what they're seeing often. It, it's shocks is, a, is the wrong word. Some are shocked, but they're usually like, that's the source of my fulfillment. And they see themselves doing things and then they, then they come out of it and they go, but how do I turn that into a business? And it's like, from that state, you get a different story and then you get a different strategy. And it would be completely divergent from what the mind would want to do. And so I hear you because my mind has spent a lot of time trying to build businesses. I'm an entrepreneur quite naturally, but those do not mean fulfillment, not from that place. You mentioned earlier about like one of the questions I was thinking about and we'll dive deep into here a little bit. So I'll just share what I had shared with you, which was basically I saw a recent Facebook ad for like a private practice coach that was getting like a lot of engagement. The post itself was, and I got curious because I'm always like trying to nerdily study ads and what's working, whatever. Yeah. There was basically this comment from a colleague that said, money is not like the big driving factor for me and it shouldn't be for you. And that's the sacrifice is being part of the profession, right? And there was like, and obviously as soon as that post got, they made that comment, I got, that blew up right within this ad, right? And I was wondering how you think about that. Yeah, I go back to our internships and I think about how, so it goes even further. We talked about some of the earlier conditioning, but I go back to our internships. So at our clinic, we pay our interns, but we have to find a workaround. The system is that messed up, in my opinion, that we actually had to find a workaround to be able to pay interns. We had to call it an honorarium and we had to find ways to do it because we weren't allowed to pay interns, which was the standard. I didn't get paid. I don't know if you got paid. Most people just work for free at the beginning. And this stressful time, we have to pay for school in whatever way, or maybe someone paid for it. But even to be a therapist, inherently, there is some privilege there because you need to be able to afford to work for free for a while or have the ability to work on the side and, and cram in all these hours. So if you look back at our earliest steps into the field, we were unpaid and we were asked to sacrifice our well-being in order to earn our chops and get trained. And sort of the assumption there is that we didn't really know anything. And so we, we just had to sort of sacrifice our time and our money, our income in order to. So yeah, the, that sentiment that I'm hearing there is not unusual to me. I've seen it in a lot of groups. And yeah, it does fire people up. I've shared our model in groups of how we pay the clinicians, and we find a way to do it. And then we also charge them full rates for supervision, which is also a place where supervisors often give them a free supervision or a decreased rate, another self-sacrifice. So it's it's like the origins of where we step into the field out of the grad school is all about give your time and your your income away. It's so it doesn't surprise me that comment, but also that fired up discourse that happened after that would be fascinating for me to watch. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it definitely is there was definitely a lot of fireworks at that one. So, but yeah, it just it's also a reminder for me of like, I don't know, sometimes I think I think generally, I think everybody's well-meaning, right? But like sometimes Mm -hmm. how our own colleagues are the ones that reinforce the very things that men like we're actually trying to examine and think through. 
Yeah, I think that's what my colleague meant when she said, I don't know if therapists are ready for your message. And it got in my head. I was kind of like, oh, no, are they? I I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it. But I realized, no, it is this kind of... I found that Facebook groups might be the best place to see it, the collective sort of policing Mm -hmm. of these beliefs. And when you go outside of them, what can happen? Yeah. Yeah, Mm because... It's hard to look at this. And I think that's actually what you see there when people get really fired up about keep these beliefs, like you shouldn't be doing this and, you, and you've got to be doing that. I think it's because it's really hard to, to move to phase two, which is to go, oh, this is a broken system. And so it's not me, it's you. I, I need to break up with some aspect of this system and change it for myself. That is a phase. It's an evolution. And it's totally fine when... I wasn't there for years. I don't know. Most people, it just takes some time. I was on a podcast not that long ago with Julie Harris, Green Oak Accounting. She used a statement that struck me. She said she loves working with therapists because we're very compliant. And she meant it in the in the sense of her business. But I actually, we talked about it in the larger sense of that we are excellent students of our culture. We are good rule followers for the most part. So when I look in those communities and people are policing each other, it's it doesn't surprise me. It just makes it a little harder and maybe a lot harder to to extricate ourselves from the self-sacrifice and the over-responsibility and the liability fear, all that stuff. Yeah, 100%. Erin, I have one final question for you, which is how do you see like imposter syndrome and all that we're talking about like playing out? I see it as a symptom of hierarchical thinking. Have this like you've got to earn your chops, you're going to work for free. It's sort of the culmination of all this conditioning is that, and then there's this idea of like, well, am I doing it right? And I also think it fits into the the first phase where people go like, now I'm working in an agency, perhaps I'm getting burnt out. This is not what I thought. I keep getting these same messages of like, well, just sort of take it and give and give. And I'm not happy. And so there must be something wrong with me because I was promised that this would be meaningful and fulfilling, like that this would be an amazing career. And please, as I say this, this career can be meaningful and fulfilling. This career can be so beautiful. And it can be the reason some people literally end their lives. It can be a huge toll. So I think that the imposter syndrome comes in when when we're suffering in silence and people are looking outside themselves going like, why is everyone policing me to remain in this? And I mean, I've, I remember bringing something forth to a supervisor once and they're like, well, maybe maybe this is just not for you. And it was kind of like, that's not the answer is to say that they're, I'm flawed because I'm struggling. So I see the imposter syndrome as just sort of what can come out of all this conditioning. And when I train and supervise therapists, it is there profoundly, especially at the beginning. Really well said. Aaron. I'm just so grateful for you, grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. I know you've got quite a few things happening. So I was wondering if you could tell us about what you're up to and then also a website where we can find more about you. Beautiful. Well, Therapist Expanded, so therapistexpanded.com and all the other apps, Instagram, things like that. I also have a podcast called Therapist Expanded. And there's a bunch of different ways to find me, right? You go to the website. One fun way, and I'd love to offer this, is a quiz that I've created, which is called What's Your Therapist Fulfillment Flavor? And it's like, how are we like ice cream? So it's kind of fun, but also it speaks to these different factors. Because once you understand what drives your fulfillment bit, 
it can be like a light bulb to understand that there might be a mismatch between the environment you're in and your own. So, and that's cool because anything I'm offering sort of comes through that. So that's another way is the quiz, which I'll share. Awesome. That quiz sounds amazing. And I'm all about flavors of ice cream. So (laughs) it's fun. Aaron, thank you again for doing this and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Melvin. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron. And especially if you've been weighing kind of these big questions around business and how you're thinking about it and wanting to ultimately create one not just driven by revenue, but by values. I hope that today's podcast session has just been really, really helpful for you. I mentioned a solo podcast episode that we created last season. That's on April 27, 2023, about why I'm done building a $1 million a year business. That might be a good supplemental episode for this one and takes you a little bit behind the scenes of STC and how I find myself asking these questions all the time and thinking about as we build out STC. Erin mentioned a number of wonderful, wonderful resources that she has put together And you can find all of that information on her website, which is over at TherapistExpanded.com. Again, that's TherapistExpanded.com, including that wonderful quiz that Aaron mentioned as well. Have a great rest of your day, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.SellingTheCouch.com. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to today's session. Just wanted to also let you know that we have a free email newsletter that goes out every week. You can download it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. Basically, uh, that newsletter contains some of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes with STC and also with my life and how I'm balancing and trying to balance uh, being both an entrepreneur as well as building a life around my family and my health as well. And it also contains the latest podcast episode and some of the stuff that I'm doing on LinkedIn, some of the strategies and things that are working for me. And then finally, a brand new section called On Mel's Mind, where I take a video or a book or a blog post or something like that that's inspiring me for that week. And I share how I'm implementing it both in my life and in my business. Again, you can download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. And if you are one of the 3,700 colleagues that have been a part of the email newsletter, I so appreciate you. And uh, I'm grateful for your support. We genuinely try to make these helpful. And uh, And just based on the data and based on the feedback we're getting, it seems like we're doing a really good job. So appreciate you and uh, I hope that you have a great day.